Ah, oh, that was good. Sorry, I just want to pause for a second. Acts chapter 11 tonight. Acts chapter 11. I've entitled this chapter, Call Them Christians, because we discover in this chapter the first place in the world where the followers of Jesus Christ are called Christians. That'd be a good Bible trivia question, by the way. But before we get to that, I want to spend just briefly a little bit of time on the first part of this passage. I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time because I want to give the majority of our time to the second part of the passage. But what we have at the beginning is that Jews, especially a certain sect of Jews, were hearing that the Gentiles were accepting the word of God. You see that there in verse 1. And that was thrilling. That's how we come to know the Lord, through the message of the gospel. But you'll notice that when these certain group of circumcised believers, Jewish, heard that the Gentiles were accepting the word of God and what Peter did with Cornelius and how he allowed him into his home and how he went into his home and how Peter was basically saying they've received the same Holy Spirit that we have. Notice verse 2. These believers took issue with him. And make no mistake about it. They're not unbelievers. They're believers. But there was a certain group of Jewish believers who were basically saying, unless you are circumcised, you can't be saved. They were called Judaizers. And they could not yet accept that Gentiles were going to be on equal footing with them, spiritually speaking. The point I want to make from this passage and from this incident is this. Believers will always take issue with other believers over things. That's Always the case. I've been in church all my life. I've been a pastor for 39 years. We as believers will always take issue with other believers over stuff. How do we resolve those things? How do we stay unified? How do we stay focused and not allow these things, these issues, to divide us and to destroy our fellowship. Some of those answers are in this passage tonight. And the primary one is this. And I think this is one of the reasons why the Oasis Church all these years has been pretty much a unified group of believers and why there's been such stability at the leadership level. It's because that for the most part, none of us come here as part of this church family trying to push our own agenda. That's huge. That we come here basically with the attitude of, we just want what God wants. That's what keeps us unified. 
because there is diversity. And let me even say this, not every church is alike, and God doesn't want that to be the case. Every local church even has its own personality, its own priorities, its own way of doing things. God works differently through the leadership that he's called and through the people that he's gathered there. But we have to trust that our leadership in any gathering of believers, whether it's a church ministry or an outside church ministry, is doing the same thing that they were doing at this time in church history. And what Peter begins to do, verse 4, is he begins to explain to these certain Jewish believers, point by point, what happened. And how none of this was his own doing. He was just simply following the Lord. Notice like in verse 7, he says, I heard a voice. And then in verse 9, he says, oh, and the voice came from heaven, and it was the voice of God. So the first thing Peter is saying is, I was just responding to the voice of God. Then in verse 12, he says, oh, and the Spirit told me, accompany them without hesitation. So what is, what is he doing? He is moving and responding and doing things as he hears God's voice directing him as he hears the Spirit directing and leading him. And then he says in verse 15, when I began to give the message of salvation, the Holy Spirit came and fell upon them and took up residence in them. And then verse 16, and I remembered the word of the Lord. That's so important. I was mindful of what God had said in his word. So notice, voice of God, spirit of God, word of God. All of these were leading Peter down this path with Cornelius to bring Gentiles into the fold, into the family of God, into the kingdom. And so he's defending what he's done simply by saying, all I did was follow the Lord. He goes on to say that they received the Holy Spirit, verse 17, the same gift that we receive after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the progression. You trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He comes to take up residence. He indwells. And then we've also noticed another pattern in the book of Acts. After that, people are being baptized because that's following the word of the Lord. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples teaching them all the things that I have given to you, and then baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Great Commission. And then Peter says this at the end of verse 17, very important. Who was I to hinder God? Who was I to stand in God's way? See, he's saying to them, this wasn't my idea. This was God's. And I'm not going to stand in the way of God. 
All we should want is what God wants. So one of the things that can continue to keep us unified as well is, again, laying down our own agendas for what we want the church to be like and just saying, God, we want what you want. And we are trusting our leadership that they're not just, you know, leading us based upon their own opinion and, and how they're feeling about things and what they want, but that we trust that they, like Peter, are simply following the Lord and leading us as you are leading them. Many times, we Christians, we can say, God, I want to do this, and we start doing it. And then after the fact that we start doing it, then we want to appeal to God to put his stamp of approval on it. That's not the way it works. We, as Christians, need to figure out what God is already doing and join him. That's the difference. Not creating our own thing and then saying, God, will you rubber stamp it? Will you approve this? No. Figure out where God's moving, what God's doing, and join him. And that's what Peter was trying to get these Jewish believers to see. Don't need to be circumcised to be saved. We are saved by grace through faith, period. And there's always going to be people that try to add things and take away things. And we as a church, and we especially as leaders, we need to be willing to do all that God wants us to do, nothing more, nothing less. Now tonight, just for the sake of the message tonight, I'm going to use Nicole and I as examples because obviously we're ones that are up here on the platform most of the time before you. We get all kinds of good stuff from you guys all the time. You have to understand that we take everything that you share with us seriously, that as two of your leaders, we pray about things. But at the end of the day, we are only trying to do what God is leading us to do. Now, that doesn't mean that what you feel God is stirring in you is not something that you should do. We would never tell you that. But what we would simply say is that's not what God wants us as leaders to be doing in leading all of us as a church. If God is leading you to do something, then God bless you. Go do it. And it doesn't need to be run through the church or become another program in the church or another ministry in the church. Just go do what God's asking you to do. But you have to understand as leaders, we have got to be very careful that the things that we are embracing and saying now we as a church all need to get on board with are things that only God is leading us to do. 
and leading us to lead you to do. Great ideas. But understand that in order for all of us to exist as a church family, we've got to do what Peter's doing. Just want what God wants. And what God wants for you may not be what God wants us as leaders of this church to lead everybody to do. It might just be you or a group within the church to do. And that's okay. That's good. At the end of verse 18, Peter uses this phrase. So then God has granted the repentance that leads to life, even to the Gentiles. And the word life that he uses there, again, is a very important word. It is not the word for physical life or quantity of life. It is a word speaking of quality of life. It is exactly the same word that Jesus uses when he says, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. God not only wants us to be saved, have our sins forgiven, have an eternal home in heaven, he wants us on earth to experience life at the highest level, abundant life. And so many Christians are missing out on what that life is and what it looks like. And tonight in Acts chapter 11, he gives us a little glimpse into what kind of life that is. So I want to spend the rest of our time together talking about that life. So follow along with me when I go into verse 19 and beyond. Those who had been scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the message to no one but Jews. Notice again, God used persecution to position his church where they should have been all along, going out and spreading out into the world. Sometimes God uses negative circumstances to get his people in position to where they should be. But there were some men from Cyprus, verse 20, and Cyrene among them who came to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks too. Here's the first sign of abundant life, proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? After the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses. Starting in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and eventually to the ends of the earth. Proclaiming the good news of Jesus is part of living the abundant life. Remember I shared a couple weeks ago how God simply wants us to be seed planters. Just spreading the seed of his word to everyone and everywhere we go when we have opportunity to get the word of God out there because the word of God is powerful and can transform lives. And if we truly believe that there is power in the word of God, inherent power, supernatural power, then we will want to spread the word of God and seed the word of God and share the word of God every time God gives us an opportunity, both individually and as a church. And the more you and I live a life where we are sharing the good news, we're living the abundant life. Because we've got good news to share. 
And listen, remember too, we're not responsible for people's response. God doesn't hold us responsible. We could live a whole life of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to thousands of people in our lifetime and never one of them turn to Christ. And when we get to heaven, God's going to look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because what God is concerned about is, are we simply being faithful? He doesn't hold us responsible for other people's response. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to realize that Noah was one of the greatest preachers who ever lived. And yet Noah preached for 120 years and couldn't get anybody else on the ark with him except his family. Was Noah a failure in God's eyes? No way. You and I have to quit judging our ministries and our lives and ourselves by responses of others. God doesn't hold us responsible for that. God simply says, just live a life of proclaiming the good news and living the good news every day. That's part of the abundant life. Secondly, verse 21, another characteristic of the abundant life, the hand of the Lord, verse 21, was with them. They knew they were anointed of God. They knew that God's hand was on them. They knew that they were living by the power, the help, the agency of the Lord. That's what the hand of the Lord means. It speaks about his power, his help, his agency. They weren't out there trying to live and minister in their own power and strength. They were relying and depending upon the supernatural strength of God because even as God's word says, even youths get tired. Even young people come to the end of their physical and human strength. But those that wait on the Lord renew their strength. And God wants us to learn how to continually renew our strength and be strengthened in him and to live with his hand upon us. The third characteristic of an abundant life, they believed and they turned to the Lord. A great number believed and turned to the Lord. So think of the word believed as trusted. And yes, this is specifically talking about the first time they trusted God as their savior. But let's make the application. Living the abundant life is just learning to trust God more and more. To trust him. To rest all of our weight upon him. To place our full confidence in him. And the more we trust in him, the more we are living the highest quality of life. And then turning to the Lord. Again, this word speaks about turning away from everything else and literally living face to face with God. Never taking our eyes off of him. Looking unto Jesus, as the author of Hebrews says, the author and finisher of our faith. Being transfixed with the person of God. That's living the abundant life when we have God's face ever before us. Another characteristic of the abundant life. Verse 23, when Barnabas came, he saw the grace of God. The grace of God was made visible. How? Well, grace speaks about being an aware and appreciating the fact 
that all God has done for us, all God is doing for us, and all God will ever do for us is not because we deserved it. It's simply out of his love because he wants to. He desires to pour out his blessing and favor and benefits and goodness and kindness and mercy and forgiveness upon his people continually. And when you and I become more aware and appreciate the grace of God, not only that we are saved in, but in which you and I stand every day, others are going to see it because it's going to create in us and shape inside of us a heart of worship, a heart of praise, a heart, a life that just wants to continually thank God for his grace. And others are going to see that kind of thankfulness and gratitude and, and gratefulness and appreciation to God because it's, it's going to overflow in us the more we are aware of and appreciate the grace of God that is operating within us and around us and in our midst. When you and I live in that grace and stand in that grace every day and appreciate that grace and are more aware of that grace, that's living the high life. And then that kind of life, notice, then inspires others to live that life too. Because notice what Barnabas' response was when he saw the grace of God made visible in other Christians' lives there. What did he do? He rejoiced. He rejoiced. There was joy in the Lord in Barnabas' heart and mind when he saw that other Christians were becoming more and more aware and appreciative of the grace of God. And they weren't living by rules and regulations. They were living in a vibrant relationship with their God. That's grace. Again, I want to remind you of 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul, maybe the greatest Christian who ever lived, said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Not by living up to a set of rules and regulations, not by living by a set of do's and don'ts, but by living by God's grace every day and becoming more aware and appreciating the grace of God that, that wraps us up every day, that envelops us every day, that surrounds us. And Barnabas, he was seeing how worshipful and, and how exuberant these people were in their worship and praise of God, and he rejoiced. Joy in the Lord. Again, characteristics of the highest quality of life. There's another one in verse 23. Notice he then encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. In other words, Barnabas is saying, the abundant life is not a shooting star. It, it's not a Christian who just, you know, gets on fire for God as soon as they get saved, and then a year or two down the road or five or ten years down the road, somebody goes, hey, what about so-and-so? They used to be faithful to church every Sunday. Yeah, they don't go anymore. Man, they used to be into the Word of God all the time. They were quoting scripture and sharing the word of God with others. Maybe they even taught a class. Or, yeah, the Bible's not really a priority anymore. Man, they were, 
they were an enthusiastic worshiper. When we would worship at church, man, they got into it. They sang with all that they had, and, and they were expressive in their worship. And they just, yeah, they don't, they don't even listen to Christian music anymore or do any kind of worship stuff. See, what Barnabas is saying is, as we've talked before, it's not as important how we start the Christian race or life as it is how we finish. And that's why Barnabas says, it's great that you guys have gotten off to such a good start, but you want to really live the high life? You want to really live the quality of life? You stay with it until the day you see Jesus. You remain true. You continue in it with devoted hearts. And we know that there's so many times in the Bible that warn us about the fact that there are those that did not remain true to God over the long haul with devoted hearts. I think again about what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation. I have this against you. You've left your first love. You don't love me like you used to. How about Paul talking about his friend and partner in ministry, Demas? He said, yeah, Demas forsook me, having loved this present world. He fell in love more with what the world offered him than what Jesus was offering him. See, there's always that possibility that, that we as Christians, you know, we go down the road, but are, are we able to, to maintain it over the long haul and sustain our fire for the Lord and our love for the Lord? That's why I appreciate our leaders at this church because you all have been faithful over the long haul. And God loves you for it and appreciates you for it and will honor and bless you for it. Because so many churches today, even at the leadership level, it's a revolving door. It's come in for six months, a year, two years, and out the door. And I've told you about the fact that Nicole and Crystal, they're like, they're really odd in such a good way because they've been here for like 13 plus years that's unheard of in church ministry today our elders our ministry leaders I mean all of you you have remained true to the Lord in your devotion over the long haul that's living the high life because there's going to be days in that long period of time you don't feel it. You offer the sacrifice of praise. When you feel like growing weary, you don't grow weary in well-doing and you just keep going. You keep doing what God has called you to and what you know he wants you to. You, and you don't reach down and try to bring it up out of yourself. You reach up to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your hand. I need your help. And you don't try to row faster and, and, you know, make more of an effort yourself. You raise your sail and let the Spirit of God carry you along. Because there's always going to be days where we don't feel it and we don't feel like it. And can I just say, I'm going to say this tonight. I wouldn't plan on bringing this up, but I am. Because I've talked to many others who were here Sunday, and they sort of confirmed. Sunday 
This past Sunday was the weirdest, strangest day I've ever had as the pastor of this church. I can't even totally explain what was going on or what wasn't going on, but in some ways, nothing was going on. I mean, Nicole and I even sort of downloaded on Monday. It was like, you know, she was trying to get, it was like there was no response, which is very unusual for us. It was almost like there was a blanket. And I remember when I walked in on Sunday, even before I like anything happened, I walked into the door of our church and I felt something that I had never felt before in 13 and a half years. Because usually when I walk through those doors, I'm like, ah, I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. It's like I'm, I'm in my refuge, right? Just like my home. It's like this is my... I didn't feel that at all. It was just strange. It was weird. But we all got here and we got through it. And I believe God was moving. It's not like God didn't show up and wasn't moving and working. It's just I believe that we're in a season right now as a church where there's a lot of contrary spiritual wind blowing against us. And we've just got to not give up. We just got to keep pressing into God and just keep moving forward. And sometimes we're not going to feel it. Got to just keep on doing what God's asking us to do. That's how you remain true and devoted over the long haul. A couple others, and we'll wrap this up tonight. Notice also, I love this testimony of Barnabas. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, faith. Significant number of people were brought to the Lord. There's the next part, the next character. Because the word brought literally means to add to those already present. You see, there wasn't just spiritual growth happening here. There was physical and numerical growth. People were being added to the fellowship of believers all the time because that's a sign of health. Growth is a sign of health. And in a church, we not only need to be growing spiritually, but it's important that we're growing in some way physically in New America. And I love the fact that God is allowing people, new people, to come all the time. And we want to continue to open up our arms and welcome them. Because if God wants them to be a part of our fellowship, then we need to open up our arms and say, come on, you're our brother and sister. Let's do this together. Because we were all there at one time. Then notice two more. Precious. Barnabas, verse 25, departed for Tarsus to look for Saul. Why? Because he wanted to personally invite Saul to be his partner. Because you want to live the high life, you want to live an abundant life, find a partner to do life and ministry with. And from here on out, Barnabas and Saul, notice, became partners in ministry. And it's very interesting that at this point, Barnabas, notice, his name is first because he's the prominent one at this point. But over in chapter 14, it switches. And Paul now becomes the prominent one in this team. And now Paul's name is always mentioned before Barnabas's. But it was Barnabas who personally invited Paul to join him. That's why I encourage our leaders. Personal invitation is the biblical way to invite people into ministry. There's nothing more powerful than a personal invitation. Now, again, not everybody might accept. 
You might personally invite somebody to come to church and they might say no. You might personally invite somebody to come join you in ministry and they might say no, but there's time. Maybe one time, one person says yes. Think about how Barnabas' life changed when he invited the Apostle Paul to be his partner. Not only was it a blessing to Paul, but I guarantee you it was a blessing to Barnabas to have someone like Paul as his partner. That's living the abundant life. And then I love this, because we'll, we'll pick it up in verse 27, because I wanted to, to, to leave the last section of chapter 11, actually is the lead-in to chapter 12 next week. So I wanted to end with verse 26. Now it was in Antioch, that the disciples were first called Christians. First of all, let me mention about Antioch. Antioch became known in the ancient world as the cradle of Christianity. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Rome, obviously, was first. Alexandria was the second largest city in the Roman Empire. Antioch was the third. But here's the thing about Antioch. Even more than Rome and Alexandria, Antioch literally had roads out of it that just spread out into all the regions of the world. It literally was the crossroads of the world in Antioch. So again, God in his perfect strategy goes, I'm going to build a hub in Antioch of on-fire Christians. And out of that church in Antioch, people are going to be stirred and moved to become missionaries and to spread the word of God all over the world so that they see the unfolding plan of God's redemption for the world, in a sense, being ignited from the city of Antioch. But the last point I want to make as far as a characteristic of the abundant life is notice they were called Christians. Again, as I've said before, they didn't call themselves Christians like we do today. You, yeah, I'm a Christian. No. They would have never taken that title or assumed giving themselves that title. Because to them, the word Christian simply didn't mean one who's confessed Jesus Christ as their Savior. The word Christian meant a follower of Christ who resembles Jesus Christ and who reminds others of the way Jesus lived, the way he did things, his priorities, the way he spoke. What a badge of honor. Now, you see, when, when the term first came out, it was actually a term of derision. It wasn't a compliment. Those people are Christians. They're those Jesus people. They resemble that Jesus guy. They remind me of Jesus. It was a negative thing. But they took it as, a, as an honorable, like the greatest thing that could ever be said of any of us by others is, you remind me of Jesus. 
You resemble Jesus because that's the whole plan of God's salvation, right? To be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. The greatest compliment any of us could ever receive from someone else is you remind me of Jesus. And there's no more abundant life than being like Jesus. That's that's as high as quality as it can get. Being like Jesus as we walk through this life. May we at the Oasis not be so quick to call ourselves Christians, but to let our life speak for us and to let the impression and impact of our life speak something to those around us. Can others see Jesus in us? Would others call us a Christian today by watching what we say, the way we live, and the priorities of our life. Remember, Jesus didn't come just to give us a quantity of life forever and ever. He came to give us the highest quality of life that we as human beings could even experience on planet Earth right here and now. He doesn't want us to wait till we get to heaven to start experiencing abundant life. He wants us to have abundant life here and now as our present possession. Father, we thank you tonight for the time that we've had in your house. And God, I pray that it's been transformative for each of us in some way. That, Lord, we leave here a little bit more like Jesus, a little changed, In some way, God, that we've allowed your spirit to work and to move. And God, I do sense and believe that our church is following you. And you are moving and changing lives and and working, but it's not without spiritual resistance. It's not without our spiritual enemy rearing his ugly head and going on the attack. And many of us are fighting our own battles spiritually right now. So God, I pray that we would strengthen ourselves in you and sustain ourselves in you. And that especially God, as leaders of your people here at the Oasis, that, God, we would steal ourselves for the days ahead. Because I believe, God, that there's great days coming for all of us. Days of experiencing you, God, like we've never experienced you before. But, God, along with that comes a lot of opposition, a lot of resistance, a lot of spiritual battles along the way. 
So keep us focused, God. Keep us strong. Keep our eyes locked on you. Keep us praying for one another and encouraging one another. Keep us linking arms with one another, God, and going through this together as one. Because all we want, Lord, is what you want. Continue to move, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for being here. God bless. We'll see you next week. Hey, everybody.